This week is a uh, a different week than usual, not just time wise, but um, you know, in the 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 the, the time span, the career tra- the trajectory of our podcast, where this will be our first video podcast, and you know, much like the most notable Nelson. Um, uh, segment to the podcast that we had to cancel due to COVID-19 concerns. We couldn't use our normal high budget podcast studio. So we made a podcast studio here in beautiful Twin Peaks Island in Animal Crossing New Horizons. So uh, yeah, this is a new thing we're doing, but uh, you know, we're recording the podcast, you know, it's, we're going to, we're going to say, you know, our, we're going to be slinging hot takes. We're going to be creating content it's going to be, you know, a wild ride, just like you're used to. I'm, you know, I think it's just going to be wonderful. Um, Matthew? Yes. Yeah, I think, you know, something to remember here is that we're a podcast that likes to have fun. And when people have fun, you know, great things happen. So uh, we're really looking forward to fun. Um, we're looking forward to good times and good vibes um and you know what what we like to have fun around here you know basically yeah we just like to have fun yeah we're just a group of cool yeah we're just a group of cool you know buds and cool buds like to you know have cool fun together and that's what we're doing so um theme song All right, you cool cats and kittens. This is the Motion Pixels podcast. I'm your co-host, August Meyer. August, say hello. Oh, uh, you'll see me kind of, you know, getting in and out of my couch here. That's my my Jerry Garcia looking guy, if you're tuning into the video. Uh, Matthew, say hello. Hello. And joining us this week, uh, you know, a lot of surveys, you know, the census just happened um, I don't know if he, on the census, identified as the baddest boy of comedy, but, you know, here at the Motion Pixels Podcast Studio, we like to think of him as the baddest boy of comedy. Joining us is Dane Kevin Cook. Uncle Dane. Dane, say hello. That's me. <coughs> and this is the Motion Pixels Podcast. So, uh, yeah, you cool cats and kittens, what's uh, what's cracking in your neck of the woods? What, uh... What's new? What's, you know, what's keeping you up at night? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're the one on the couch, so we're sh- we're supposed to be the shrinks, not you. Yeah, this is really, you know, I've frequently mentioned, you know, if you go back and listen to our uh, past podcast, I, I frequently mentioned that I treat this podcast as therapy. And, you know, this is really just a way for me to, you know, kind of let it all out, you know, air my grievances. Um, I, I complain a lot. I mean, Matt, I know edits out most of what I say, so you guys might not hear all of it, but, um, you know, that's just how I, that's how I approach the podcast. So, um, yeah, this is really a good outlet for me. That's good. I'm gl- yeah. I'm, I'm glad we have this, uh, this way for you to just get it all out. You know, a lot of pent up feelings, emotions that way you don't commit some sort of act, you know, like, like, uh, what kind of act just are you kind of thinking of Dan? Oh, you know, just kind of like, <laughs> I'm not going to, if I say anything, it's going to get cut out anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 
you know, I love content. So maybe you were thinking of like, maybe I would, you know, sling some content that, you know, would yeah. like, you know, be, you know, hotter than usual. I love hot content. So um, we're ready to sling that this week. Uh, this week, I, you know, have been playing quite a bit of Animal Crossing. Um, I actually spent quite a bit of time uh, setting up this uh, podcast studio in Animal Crossing that we're recording in. And uh, I just showed it to Dane, you know, maybe 30 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> and when I, you know, when Dane came to my island in Animal Crossing and I uh, brought him here um, into my yard where I built this podcast studio, he was like, wait, this is it? <laughs> <laughs> it just slipped out, all right? I didn't mean it in any sort of way. And I laughed way. for about a minute. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's so I, funny. I will admit it. It came off as unintentionally mean, but I mean, <laughs> it, what I was trying to imply was that I was surprised that it was taking place inside of a flower field of all places. I imagined it not taking place there. So, yeah, Dane's used to his, uh, you know, state of the art recording studio <laughs> oh, with on. his, you know, thousand dollar equipment. <laughs> camera guy on cue we don't even have somebody manning this camera it's just it's just there you know we're just doing what we can but no we just hit record and the magic happens you know what i mean yeah exactly the magic just flows yeah <laughs> yeah i uh you know I, I wanted to embody the entrepreneurial spirit that a lot of people you know during these trying times are you know, doing in the real life in, in you know, in the, the real world. So I wanted to embody that here at our makeshift podcast studio in, you know, the world of uh, Twin Peaks Island, uh, Animal Crossing. So, you know, we're, you know, doing it in my yard, you know, within my means, you know, we're really bootstrapping ourselves here, you know, as we take a journey onto YouTube, this is a new thing for the podcast. We're posting it at it, posting it in, you know, both audio where you can listen to it with your ears to video where you can listen to it with your eyes. And what's cool is that after we're done recording this, Matt is actually going to go and he's going to animate frame by frame <laughs> our mouths moving and, and lip syncing to everything we're saying on our characters. So, uh, you know, that's that's actually pretty cool dedication from Matt. So give him a lot of uh, props for doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be really helpful. This is one of those times where it's like I'm glad I cut out about 20% uh, of what everybody else says. <laughs> 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 what's cool about my character is you you won't have to uh, uh, do a little animation on top of mine yeah thank you for your stylish and uh you know <laughs> contextually appropriate mask yes yeah i don't want to get the corona from you guys no it's really cool of you to do that because as you can see if you can see if you can't you know you're just gonna have to let me paint a picture for you Dane is wearing a, a plague mask. A pl he's a plague doctor of sorts. And that's because he cares about us. You know, he doesn't want to spread any sort of filth, any sort of uh, virus to us. And we don't want to accept any viruses from his mouth. So, you know, we appreciate him doing that here at Animal Crossing. I care um, all about the olds, the fats, the boomers, all of those guys. I care all about all of them. Uh, I don't want any of them to perish or die in a horrible uh, pandemic bug. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm just taking every precaution I can. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, all of us old fat boomers really appreciate the work you're doing. <laughs> if you're a triple threat old fat boomer, then yes, this mask is for you. Uh, so yeah, uh, you know, we, we say this a lot too, but this is a podcast that cares. And uh, this week, you know, you can see that in, in, in full force. So 
Um, this week we'll be talking about, you know, caring. That's kind of the first and foremost thing. Uh, we, <laughs> we care about our, our staff's safety first and foremost here. So we'll be talking a lot about safety protocols. But after we talk about that, we'll be talking about, um, you know, other things. Uh, you know, I know we, yes. we talked about Valorant. Uh, but we, we've been playing Valorant a whole bunch, Matt and I. And Dane, um, you know, maybe this changed. Maybe he had a change of heart. You know, you can hear it straight from the source, straight from the uncle himself. But sounds like he has absolutely zero interest in it. So I'm going to be interested in uh, what Dane has to say um, about Valorant because Matt and I have been spending way too much goddamn time playing that game, um, you know, to marginally get better and better a little tiny bit every day. Um, is it worth it? I don't know. But, um, you know, maybe Dane can talk some sense into us or maybe, you know, we'll convert Dane to the to the dank side here. Um but yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Valorant, I think. Um, we probably got some thoughts on Animal Crossing. It's this like life simulator game from Nintendo, kind of a Tanuki-based life simulator where you know you have a lot of fun with your buddies. So we'll probably talk about that game too. Um, I think the other guys have played that. Um, I don't know if we have any collective movies that we've watched, but um, I watched a movie I really liked this week called uh, Hunt for the Wilder People directed by our boy Taika Waititi of Thor Ragnarok fame. Um, yeah, I want, to, I want to hear you talk about that. It sounds interesting. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'll, I'll talk about that too. And, you know, just like the, the mighty river, you know, roaring behind us in the world of Animal Crossing, this conversation is just going to, you know, go with the flow, you know. So we're just here to have a good time with our butts. And that's what, you know, this podcast is all about. That and safety. So... Um, yeah, what do you guys think about uh, safety? Uh, I, I'm I'm pro safety personally. I'm uh, I'm definitely I voted yes for safety uh, on my ballot. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Matt, thoughts on <laughs> safety? Um. Yes. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I'd I'd agree with that. Um. I. I am also pro safety. So uh, moving on, uh, yeah. So let's you know let's get right ahead right ahead of this. Um, what <laughs> yeah, do you guys before everybody stops listening? <laughs> uh, what do you guys think about seasonal flowers in Animal Crossing? I was thinking today that that's pretty neat because I, I planted some uh, holly bushes um, by my house, and I just have the bush but no flower. And at first I was like, oh, that's a bummer. But then I was like, oh, you know what? That's kind of uh, kind of nice. Like, it's cool that the game yeah. simulates actual seasonality for flowers. Yeah. It kind of gives you a reason to come back and take a look and be like, oh, wow, my uh, my holly bushes are blooming. Whoa. You know. And you'll do that voice and everything. So uh, I think, yeah, I, I, I'm okay with it. I like it. I, and honestly, I would have been okay with just bushes with different types of leaves. Like the flowers are just kind of a bonus for me. I, I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the look of bushes without uh, flowers or with flowers. So, you know, it's all good. Are the bushes the only, like, I guess, type of plant that's seasonal in this game? I think so. I think so. I um, think so, so yeah. Hmm. Cool. Because yeah, I know I the only other thing is like the trees that turn into the cherry blossoms, right? Yeah, yeah. Although trees, I guess, although it's not technically seasonal, they do change color in the autumn and the winter. So, and then I think around Christmas time, all of the uh, pine trees get Christmas lights in them. Oh, really? So, oh, that's really yeah, cool. Yeah, that's happened in all the other 
games, and I think I saw a screenshot of somebody who time traveled. So it's That's confirmed. Cool. Yeah, Pretty I stoked for that. I've been all yeah. over, uh, you know, in getting the the studio ready. Um, I was all over Nokuzan. The This is this website that sprung up that is like a way to connect people. It's like a kind of a marketplace that really just connects you to people in Discord who um, yeah. have specific it's like items. Amazon. It's a, it's exactly like Amazon, um, except the guy who owns it is a lot richer than Jeff Bezos, Tom Nook. Um, yeah. But um, on it, I saw a bunch of Christmas trees, which I have not seen anywhere in my game. So I'm guessing people got those from uh time traveling like i don't know if this is just something mm. that appears in your shop when you're like in like the holiday months do you know anything about that oh Dan? i did not know about that for some reason i i assumed that the chris that the pine trees would just have christmas lights on them automatically like you wouldn't have to buy a separate thing oh i accidentally got out my chair whoops <laughs> yeah i saw the the ones i saw Nokuzan were like uh white they look kind of like like fake trees that you could you would like put up in your house um, and one of them that I saw was like white and I think had like sparkles or mistletoe or something on it, not mistletoe, garland, something like that on it. Um, I don't remember specifically, but, um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, I guess a lot of people are time traveling. So we're probably, probably already have like, like it's probably already out there if there are like seasonal specific items that aren't tied to an event, like the bunny day stuff was, or like the, the cherry blossom yeah. stuff was. Um, but yeah, that was just a. An interesting thing that I that I that I saw in Nokuzan that got me thinking about like the seasonality in this game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's definitely a good thing for you to come back because like I know you want to talk a bit about the end game, but I think that's really how <laughs> the end game in Animal Crossing that just sounds so funny. Um but I guess that is kind of just after you get your town essentially built up, the thing that gets you to come back is just all the seasonal stuff and it is weird that like uh like right now we're in the may events and whatnot mm. but i find it strange that uh they're just things that you have to wait for you know because i i feel like this time when i was playing the uh the gamecube one i hit my point where i was like all right i'm just gonna jump all over the place and i want to see everything so i would go to like the halloween event and the christmas event and in this game i really i you know one, you I, have I haven't been time traveling. Yeah, <laughs> and you, you have to wait. Like right now, have you guys done the May event? Like there's like that hedge maze thing. I, I haven't yet, checked that but out I yet. will eventually. Yeah, I just uh, got I my ticket May for it, but I haven't I haven't done it. The May Day tour, I think it's called. You get a May Day tour ticket from Tom Nook. Yeah. How long does that go on for? Is I, it the whole month? I think it's till the, the 7th. 7th. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to do that soon, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I have, huh. I have not done it, but it's cool that they keep pumping out all these events. Like, you know, we've, the game's only been out for, what, a little more than a month? Like a month and a half? And yeah. not even. And they've already had three events. They had the, well, I guess four, if you include bamboo. There was the bamboo stuff. There was the Sakura Festival, whatever, the Cherry Blossom stuff, the Bunny Day, yeah. now May Day. Yeah, it's crazy. There's like, yeah, I'm hoping that they keep up the pace because uh, it's honestly like more reason to keep coming back and checking stuff out there's a lot of people like i don't know if it's speculating is the right word but uh are afraid that since some of the content for like just nintendo's putting out in general this year is getting delayed because of you know the pandemic stuff mm -hmm. that uh we're gonna miss out on some normally like normal times we get events because they can't make it 
So I wonder how much they did prep because I imagine all the stuff that's coming out right now was yeah prepared. developed or like nearly done yeah before the game launched. Yeah, you're probably so, right. You're probably right. Yeah, well, I don't know. I feel like uh, there are plenty of games that are uh, that are basically like games as a service that are still pumping out content regardless of the pandemic. I think it's relatively probably relatively easy to develop games from home. All you need is a computer or whatever. So. Yeah, and Animal Crossing isn't a isn't a game that like would require a studio like like an in person studio. Like I think of games like that are getting delayed, like The Last of Us. And I know The Last of Us Part Two. They've said that it's already pretty much done and they're bug testing. But mm-hmm. like, imagine if they needed to like tweak a cinematic and they wanted to get like a you know motion capture suit on an actor. They just couldn't do that right now. But Animal Crossing, you know. I don't think they have any stuff like that. So yeah, you're probably right, Dane. Like if they can work from home, they're probably doing it right now. Yeah. A lot of, I don't know it. See, that's something I want to know. Cause like I work for a tech company and everything's going on business as usual. Mm-hmm. Like we haven't had any sort of real impacts cause of this besides like things that actually require like physical hardware to be constructed um, or anything like that. Uh, and it's like a lot of game companies are saying their products are going to get delayed. And I, it's just like in the back of my head, I'm like, but really, is there, is this an excuse? Is this just an easy way to like <laughs> yeah. have a, a to delay? Like, I know, like I was thinking when all the news started coming out where people are delaying games and whatnot, I was like, cyberpunk is going to use this to push it back another couple of months for sure. <laughs> Which I guess in that case, like. Okay like, I think it. the real hard thing is, like, voice acting and yeah. if you're doing mocap, I can see that stuff getting impacted, but I don't know. I feel, I, like, I feel yeah. like a lot more things are getting hit than you would yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. But who I knows? Think, I don't know yeah. what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm totally on the same page. I, I can't help but wonder how many delays are uh, 100% genuinely because of the pandemic and, and how much of it is because they just kind of felt like it, it was a good excuse to keep working on the game. Which, honestly, I mean, I'm okay with both reasons. I, I think that it's it's silly how much games have become this, uh, this time-gated thing for a lot of uh, publishers, where they, they're like, we have to release this then because we don't have a game that's coming out then. We need to like do good in the third quarter or whatever. So like they'll push for releases... And if they don't, if they if they don't come out, then then they'll uh, they'll lose like X amount of money or something. It's all like the suits who are in charge of that shit, right? So uh, I feel like if if a game company's like, you know, we could tell the higher ups that we can't work on the game because we are, you know, because <laughs> of the coronavirus, then it would give us more time to work on this game that we're already like strapped to be producing within this time constraint. So. Uh, yeah, I, and, I can't help but wonder how many people are like taking advantage of uh, of this opportunity to kind of actually like fine tune the game in the way that they want. Because I I don't know I get the feeling that in a lot of games, especially AAA games, there there are the artists who are working on the game, and then there are the the big wigs who are in charge of like sales and making sure that it comes out on, in a specific time frame. And those two mindsets clash, I think, <laughs> very often. With with Animal Crossing specifically too, this I know the team that worked on it also worked on Splatoon too. So they've, there's already precedent that they've been 
moved from one franchise to another, you know, they're a successful team. It makes sense that they would be in demand like within Nintendo. So yeah, I wonder if they, you know, it, I guess it's possible that they, there's some other project within Nintendo that um, they could all, they could also be working on maybe in tandem with the development of the support of Animal Crossing, because um, I doubt that all of their resources need to go to just supporting Animal Crossing, like the same resources they had when they were actually building it from the ground up. So um, yeah, I, I'd be, I'd be interested to, to like, you know, hear from someone there to like to see what it's like on the ground. But um, yeah, I mean, all sorts of things could be happening that could, you know, be potentially slowing down games. But what's weird with Animal Crossing, something I was thinking of is like the events are probably going to be pretty similar year after year. Like that's even assuming that Animal Crossing is still getting support from Nintendo, like active support from Nintendo after this year. But since the game is, you know, real time based, there's going, there's still going to be a, you know, East, uh, a bunny day next year. There's still going to be um, a May day next year. So I wonder if the plan for development was, you know, spend the year with, you know, a bunch of developers creating this content for each of the seasons in, um, in the game for the whole year. And then the next year, maybe lightly tweak them a little bit with a, you know, a pared down team with, you know, reduced boots on the ground, actually developing, like maintaining Animal Crossing, and then have that team do do something else, like move on to another franchise. Because this, this, this team, like, I think, you know, I think we all agree knocked out, knocked Animal Crossing out of the park. I think they knocked Splatoon 2 out of the park. So um, I have no idea what they're working on next, but I, I bet they're working on something right now because I don't think it takes a whole studio to maintain a game that's already been built yeah it's very possible that they've split the team in half or something and that the half of them are still working on like uh future content for this game for the next uh, however many years and then uh, the other half is like going off and working on full uh titles so that's uh not unreasonable to imagine i presume i don't mm-hmm. know why i'm doing this voice <laughs> no, I thought you always talked about talked like that. So, like, you were doing this like American accent before, and I was like, "What is he doing?" But I'm glad you're, you know, kind of talking like I'm. Used yes, to I'm finally making a, an effort to use my natural voice, <laughs> and I think that's cool. You know, at the Motion Pixels, you know, now that we're, we're in our studio, this is a, you know, we this is our place, and you know, being that this is our place, this is a safe space for you to really be who you know, you want to be. So I, I don't, Jane, I don't want you to feel like you have to be anyone else other than you are really. I finally feel comfortable and in my own shoes. And, uh, it is my goal to chase away as many of your existing uh, listeners as possible. So I'm just going to keep doing this for the rest of the entire podcast. Yes. Yeah. You know, we, uh, Matt, <laughs> Matt, you're familiar with this. We have a lot of market no, data. It's over. Next subject. Okay. Um, um, I was going to, speaking of shoes, you know, you, you had a, you know, in that stupid fucking bit you were just doing, you used the word shoes. So I, I was, I was going to piggyback off of that. Um, what do you guys think, you know, maybe Nintendo didn't have the technology, you know, maybe they didn't have the technology that maybe they didn't have the teraflops to have villagers wear shoes. Thoughts? Uh, what are you talking um, about? They don't wear we're, pants we're, either. We're wearing shoes now. <laughs> no, no Dane, listen, like the... Dane, use your 
ears, Dane. Jesus. Um, yeah, uh, vill- in, in the game Animal Crossing, Dane, if you're not familiar, there's villagers, you know, other than yourself. If you could kind can of see that. Th- can you think, like, th- just think of other people besides yourself right now. If you just like <laughs> in your mind's eye, just think of it. But there's these other villagers who are like animals, you know, in Animal Crossing who uh, they don't wear pants and they don't wear shoes. And I don't know if this is like an homage to Winnie the Pooh or something, but um, yeah, I don't know what's up with that. They just don't do it. Um, and frankly, I think the pants in Animal Crossing New Horizons are a weak point of the yeah. game. This is not even a bit. I There's like two I pairs of pants that I like to wear and I have like 11 of them and none of them I think look great. The, shoe, the, the, the shoes and the, the shirts and the hats and the plague masks I think are all cool. But something about the pants. You know, maybe the villagers just get it and they're like, we don't want these pants. Yeah. You ever heard of no shoes, no pants, no service? Yeah. Enough yeah, said. I mean, I don't service my villagers personally. That's good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking of that kind of thing, uh, uh, pants, pants, speaking of pants, uh, there, you know, there's these jumpsuits in Animal Crossing, right? And, you know, that, that are, <laughs> that have both pants and tops, tops and bottoms, one might say, uh, and there's this villager Dom who I see on Twitter all the time being memed. Um, he's this like big pink ram who wears like a tie dye shirt and uh, is always talking about working out. And he's just very cute. He has these like pink horns. And uh, my girlfriend was playing uh, Animal Crossing earlier, and she has Dom as a villager. And she got a a, a, a bodysuit, like a jumpsuit in Animal Crossing. That's like a fake muscle suit, you know, like. One you uh, might yeah. find it like I think I've seen that. Yeah, and she she uh, gave it to Dom because he's like a bodybuilder in the game, and he was like super stoked, so he put it on immediately. And the bodysuit only covers his top half, so he has this like, and he's this like huge like puffy ram. So this bodysuit that would normally fit a much like thinner villager, um, like stretched, so it kind of looked like a JPEG that had been like stretched across <laughs> his torso, and then he had these like big like muscled arms. Uh, you know, on his already very buff arms. Um, so I, I just thought that was so funny that even when you put a jumpsuit on a villager, they still don't wear pants or the shoes. That's that's funny. <laughs> they just it, it's funny that they can handle that. Like, you because like some of the stuff um, that when you give villagers, uh, it, it like like have you given a villager with an oddly shaped head a hat yet? Oh my god, it's so funny. I gave one yeah. to Meringue, who's this like. Uh, yeah, the rhino, right? Yeah, she's a rhino who has like a, a, cha- a strawberry for a, a horn. I gave her my, uh, this, uh, what are they called? Tulip hat that I started started the game out with. And I gave it to her and her, she has this huge head. And the hat like shrank down and just sat on the very top of her head. You guys can laugh yeah. now. <laughs> I was pausing for the audience laughter that, that Matt's going to edit in. Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the live the live studio audience, yeah. you know? <laughs> the canned laughter. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, too, I, I was thinking it would be funny, eventually, if we had a live studio audience um, who would, like, we could make, like, clap on cue or laugh at our jokes in Animal Crossing when we're filming this, but I just don't trust them not to leave, so we'd have that annoying animation, you know, like, someone's leaving your yeah, island, yeah. and that would just, I just... <laughs> You know, that brings up a bigger issue. Be... I just wish we could trust people these days, you know? Uh, ugh, yes. <laughs> uh, ugh. <laughs> um, I was thinking you could just have a soundboard with, like, various clapping. You just push it whenever. 
you need it. That's a much better dangerous. idea. My, my friend actually just got one. This is super off topic. My friend just got one of those and was messing with it all day. And it seems like one of those things you need to really trust the person that has access to a soundboard. Yeah. <laughs> do you guys trust me? Um, mm. I do, Dan. Uh-oh. I trust you. Steady. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> oh man, that was good. I don't think that I don't think that showed up on the recording, but still. Uh, uh, no, I heard it. <laughs> I know. Um, oh, sticky. Yeah, but you know, for yeah, our just, listeners who didn't hear the sound bite, uh, Dane just soundboarded the "uh oh stinky" meme into our podcast without our permission. So, we, I mean, legal's on the way. Um, security's about to escort Dane out. But besides that, you know, we we still got a good podcast. Ahead the point of us. being, I mean, I've had a soundboard this whole time, and I've, I don't think I've ever used it with you guys. So, I, I feel like I'm pretty trustworthy with it. I only mm-hmm. use it when it's very appropriate. Very appropriate. That's good. <laughs> Although um, I will admit, when I first got a hold of it, when I first got a hold of this thing, yeah, it was it was definitely Meme City for about a few days. But, City. You know, you calm down with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, worse. Um, <laughs> something we are going to start doing is I'm going to transition this to Valorant now because uh, this is good talk. But um, we got this really good clip of uh, one of our games we were playing like a couple weeks ago. Where, like, uh, so for those who aren't familiar with Valorant, it's that uh, huge game that blew up on Twitch recently because of how you get the keys. Um, so you probably have heard of it, but it's like a tactical shooter, 5v5, very uh, competitive, very hardcore, similar to Counter-Strike. Yeah. Um, but we, uh, my friends were queued in um, with, a, they had one random on their team. And it was this guy, I guess, who was streaming. He was like, Twitch TV slash something something. Um, not gonna plug him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> slash Ninja. But, uh, you could, his name was Ninja. Yeah, slash Ninja. Slash Shroud. Um, <laughs> oh, not. But so he was making a dumb play, right? Like he was peeking a corner that was very obviously uh, not something you want to peek. Um, so there's uh, the characters are kind of like people call Valorant like uh, Counter Strike with abilities in a way. It's like kind of like Counter Strike and Overwatch put together where uh, everybody has like different types of utility that they can use. And my friend in particular had this one character that has this ice orb that you can throw on the ground and it will slow people. Um, So we threw that to stop these people that were coming around this corner. And then this random guy uh, came through and got stuck in it and couldn't get away as the two people were peeking it at him <laughs> and just yelled at the top of his lungs, you fucked me! <laughs> and died. Um, but we found out he was streaming, so I went back and I clipped it. And, uh, uh, that's amazing. And so now on this soundboard, uh, we have it. So if, if that ever happens, we just played over it. That's awesome. It's pretty great. Uh, I, I might just, I'm going to silence. Here's the clip right here. Yeah, so now you guys can uh, go back and listen to that. Uh, it's it's very wonderful. Uh, pulled from a nameless streamer, uh, Nega Shroud, as we'll call him. Nega Shroud. Anti-Shroud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Valorant's pretty fun. Gus, you've been enjoying it a whole lot more than I thought you would. Do you want to yeah, share so, your thoughts on it a bit? Okay, so here's my backstories. I'm not a very hard... You know, I play a lot of video games. You know, I, I actually... I, I'm on this video game podcast called the motion pixels podcast um with my co-host matthew rawlings uh sometimes dane kevin cook comes on but uh i'm not a very hardcore 
uh, player. Like I don't play, like I've, I've played a tiny bit of Counter-Strike like years ago. I didn't really get into it. Um, I've never really, I don't really get super into one game. I just love like the video game industry and I love the video game like community and just like kind of being a part, whatever, like the hotness is or whatever little things I like, you know, like I get, I nerd out about like dungeon crawlers and roguelikes and stuff, but never get super, super, super into a game. But I also am a very competitive person when my friends say that I can't do something (laughs) <laughs> and and uh, on the, uh, I was talking to Matt and one of our other friends um, about. I think we're. I think that we were talking about uh, Rainbow Six Siege. I think the game was a while ago. And this other guy and one of our friends mentioned in passing. He was like, "Yeah, I just didn't think you would be into it because you know you're not like you know you're not like hardcore. You're a little more casual." And I don't think I said anything when we were. Uh, in that conversation, but in my mind, I was like, "All right, I'm going to get good at Rainbow Six Siege now, just to prove him wrong." So I, <laughs> so I started playing Rainbow Six Siege a bunch and uh, got really into it. Um, I was never super good at it, but I got 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 really into it, and um, that led into me um, starting to play Valorant with um, all of our all of our friends. Um, and I've been trying to play a whole bunch every day to get good enough now that ranked like there's a competitive um mode now um that gives you ranks like league or overwatch you know there's like from iron it goes like iron bronze silver gold whatever um and i've been playing a bunch so that i can play competitive with uh my friends because they didn't think i was hardcore enough to do so and how's that going (laughs) pretty good honestly uh i started out you know totally just dragging my team down but now I feel like I'm doing pretty decent, Matt. Like, what do you honestly, what do you think um, of how I've been playing with you? You've gotten a lot better. It, it's it's really cool. Like, um, like it was it was a mean comment. Uh, I think one of our friends made. Uh, but when you first started playing, uh, your aim was kind of like a bot, and it's not anymore. Like, do you? I think you might remember that somebody was like, uh, critiquing your crosshair placement. Oh, just because it was um, so bad. Yeah, it was very strange. Um, <laughs> but now, no, like, uh, like we'll be playing, and you'll just pop off, and I'll be like, "Is is this Gus? What?" It's like, it, it it's it's cool, like how much uh how much progress you've made because you do a lot of the um the practice uh, the training range right to yeah work on your aim and whatnot. Yeah, one cool thing about you know I I also work for a tech company like like Matthew, um, and I work from home and over lunch. Uh, I'll typically most most every day if I don't play a match over lunch, I'll just go into the training range and you know over and over again just practice my aiming, um, practice you know ability placement stuff like that. But um, mostly I just go in and uh, practice shooting a bunch of bots so that I can like you were saying get my crosshair placement, which is a thing you have to pay attention to in Valorant because like a headshot is like an instant kill and just like the time to kill in this game is so quick much like Counter-Strike, that if your crosshair is not in the right place, you're just going to, you know, get domed like I do, you know, did frequently, still do frequently. Um, but yeah, you know, I've, I've been training a bunch. And what that's one thing I'll say about Valorant is that the, um, you know, I think when we podcasted about this before, I mentioned that I felt like Valorant was very accessible. And I think this goes hand in hand with what I was saying. Like the training range is extremely good in this game. I know Overwatch has a training range. Um, I don't think Rainbow Six Siege does, but um, I 
played a fair bit of Overwatch um, and a fair bit of Overwatch's training range. I just think that the Valorant training range is so much better than any training range or any like practice mode I've seen in another game before. Um, there's all sorts of difficulties you can set it to in this range with a, with a bunch of bots that spawn in different places. So you can practice like flicking your crosshair from, from one head to the other. There's bots that just show you the amount of damage you do to them. So you can practice different weapons from different distances. There's like an obstacle course. So you can practice like your movement. Um, it's just, there's so much you can do and get better at. And I, that's one thing that I love about Valorant is it's something that I feel encouraged every day to get better at with my friends. Yeah. And like, uh, so I'm going to try, I'm going to shift the conversation a bit now. Like, um, like it's cool that they have this tool built in because, uh, in Counter-Strike, there's a lot of just maps you have to download on your workshop. There's nothing built into the game where you can load in and go to a practice range and have all these tools at your disposal. Um, but, and so the communities made things, uh, that are like that and they're a bit better than what's in their range but um for something that's built into the game it's it's really good uh but this is something that i i was trying to decide if it's going to impact the maybe not longevity but the quality of different things in this game is uh like riot is a lot more closed off when compared to valve oh yeah where like valve like for like all their main games they're they're very much like let the community just do things with it uh like counter-strike like almost all the maps have spawned from the community all the gun skins in csgo are from the community um and there's this video i saw the other day critiquing the map design in valorant and kind of comparing them i guess there's some way that map designers look at maps and this video was charting it as a very like beginner level map for all the ones that are in Valorant right now. Um, and it's something I've kind of felt like, I feel like playing, I've been playing a lot of counter-strike this week also along with Valorant and I like the maps a whole lot more, but at the same time, it's really easy when you've had these maps that have been worked on by, you know, hundreds if not thousands of people over the past like <laughs> 16 years like mm -hmm. i think the the youngest map in the current competitive pool in counter-strike right now is eight years old or something oh like gosh. that um whereas like all these maps are probably by a new team and they're you know a couple months old and it's something i wanted to kind of get your guys's viewpoint is like what do you think about that like what do you think is a better approach like having maps being made by community and having a bunch of things that come out and kind of letting people figure out what they like more or a more closed off and having it with how the game designers want their things to be laid out. Oh, uh, I don't mind if, if it's closed off to the developers, but I feel like if they're going to do that, then they need to be hyper aware of the criticism that like people are giving these maps and saying like, Oh, this can be changed. This can be changed or something. And then take that in consideration whenever they're either updating the maps or making new ones. And I agree with you that it's kind of unfair to compare like the competitive viability of maps that have been tested for years and years and years to a game that has just come out. Oh my God, I'm getting out of my chair again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in real life too. I'm so passionate. Um, <laughs> I think it's unfair to compare the two just because of the the amount of time it's been able to been tested compared to like this new game. 
uh, I mean, comparing it to my experience with TF2, it's like maps that were made back in 2007 are garbage compared to maps that were made recently. And it's just because people have been able to play test the maps that exist and see like, oh, it's probably not a good idea to have so many chokes or it's probably not a good idea to have like the spawn so far back from the control point. So they take these suggestions and consideration whenever they're making new maps and they update old maps as best they can to like accommodate those things. But um, I don't know. With time, I think Valorant's maps make it better. And I think it's silly for people to be like, yeah, this is a beginner level map. They need to step it up. Uh, you know, it's nice. I think it's it, it's nice to give that criticism, but uh, it's only going to be effective if the uh, developers actually listen to it. So I guess we, I don't know how Riot deals with things in League of Legends. I don't know anything about how that game is um, developed, but I don't know if they have a history of like listening to their audience and, and giving them what they want as far as like balanced decisions go. Do you guys know anything yeah. about that? See, it's funny because it's a MOBA and they sure. basically have had the same map for 10 years because yeah, yeah. MOBAs are all played on the, the same three lane thing that doesn't change. Well, I'm, I'm talking more about like character balance and stuff. Like, do they listen to the community whenever they give them feedback on like how balance should be done? Uh, I don't know how much, I know they, they address things a lot. Um, uh, something that a lot of people were excited about with Valorant coming out is the, they expect a higher frequency of updates, seeing how they've dealt with a lot of other things. And it's kind of like, it's one of those things that they are passionate about doing is having like a, a two week update cycle. So you can expect changes to their games every two weeks. And they've had that <laughs> in league, um, They've been doing that with their card game Legends of Runeterra recently. They'll have a new balance patch out every two weeks, just tweaking things just a little bit. Yeah. Um, and they've kind of had that now in Valorant. Mm -hmm. Granted, it's a closed beta and they should be having very frequent updates. Um, but with things like that, characters, uh, I guess weapons, like just w the way that gameplay goes about, they update. I don't know how that's going to translate to maps because... Like you can tweak, maybe there's like a like viewing angles in games like Valorant and Counter Strike are very important. Yeah. They could totally tweak things. Like a, I know Valve has done that with a lot of maps in CS:GO. They'll like tweak a little portion that maybe had a weird yeah. clipping issue, or there was like a weird object in the way that made it too easy to hide. I imagine they have the same sort of uh, infrastructure to make those changes to maps in Valorant. But there's also like a, a general concept of how a map is laid out that you can't radically overhaul um that mm -hmm. that that's more of a something you can't just fix you would have to make a an entirely new map yeah which, there, there's a difference between like this sightline is dumb versus like this entire section of the map is dumb <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah so it'll be interesting to see what they do like i'm i'm confident they're gonna have good things uh because like the the video i watched was it, it wasn't like some notable like map designer talking about it i imagine it was just some sort of fan but it was i thought it was interesting because i did kind of have those thoughts and it was something that kept bringing me back to counter-strike this week was i just really love like dust 2 and mirage and inferno like some of those maps are like they're just they just feel so good and mm -hmm. the the maps in valorant right now like i like them but they have this weird design that i don't know if they're gonna stick with where like every map has a quirk like there's three maps in the game right now um 
There's a map called Haven where the quirk is there. There's traditionally only two bomb sites in Counter-Strike maps, and this uh, on this map there's three bomb sites. Um, there's another map called Bind where the quirk is there's teleporters that connect the map in a weird ways so you can rotate and get around quicker. Like Halo. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, and then the third map is called Split. And it has these ropes that you can go up and down that make an audible noise. And it like, it's more based around that map more than any of them are, it's based around, um, having a higher position. Mm-hmm. Uh, like both bomb sites have like this big, uh, place you can stand and look down upon the site. Mm-hmm. And so like every map has like a quirk and it's just, it, there's, it's, there's a lot of people just getting very passionate and I feel like are drawing um conclusions way earlier than they can because you you don't like they could totally some people feel like they're not going to bring uh these mechanics into different maps or that they feel like every map in the future is going to have a you know gimmick to make it feel more unique um and i feel like that's just an incorrect conclusion a lot of people are drawing so quick since there's like literally nothing to base that upon other than how the maps are in closed beta (laughs) Yeah, but I think the maps in Valorant are all really good right now. And I also think like what you were saying earlier about MOBAs, you know, MOBAs typically just have the one map. It seems to me like Valorant isn't a game that's going to have a bunch of new maps like like a game like Siege might. Oh, yeah, no. They're going to have like, I, I, I think they're launching with four, which sounds like very, like nothing uh, i remember like uh when like battlefield or i don't know some bit other big shooters come out people are like uh, you have nine maps yeah th- this game has four <laughs> and but like they, That's i think appropriate, it's appropriate though i think for that yeah, type be- of game because if you're gonna play on a map and you're gonna play it in a competitive sense you need to know it like the back of your hand yeah map and so map you- knowledge is like half the game yeah so. yeah well and it's also why like in counter-strike uh there's it's been 20 years and they're still playing on old maps because yeah. people don't want to <laughs> learn new maps and you're yeah. gonna you know like if you just have to keep relearning things uh you know it's it's hard but i don't know i i, I was just curious because like i think a, a sad part about it which uh, coming from valve games like i know you have a good background in that dane and i know gus does too because we both kind of in our late teenage years played a lot of valve stuff. Oh yeah. Like I I really liked a lot of the um the community content that would come out of these games. Like mm-hmm. it's sad that there won't be a story of like a map like Dust 2, you know? Like Dust 2 <laughs> is such an iconic map that it's it's actually funny if you a uh, little bit of history on Dust 2 Which is, is a, the guy that designed it. Yeah, Counter-Strike map. Um the map's design, like its theme was based off an original, like, pre-current art design TF2 screenshot. What? Mm. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, like, when, you know, the the old TF2, where it was yeah, still, yeah. like, modern uh, modern military shooter. Uh, <laughs> I think I've seen that screenshot you're talking about. It does kind of look like Dust 2 a little bit. Yeah, like, this, they had that screenshot, and it was when the original Counter-Strike was coming out in, like, 1999 or 2000, this guy saw it and was like, I'm going to make that map in this other game that's coming out. 
And so Dust 1 was based off that. And then he took a lot of elements making Dust 2 and having that. And it's like, let's see, that's just like cool, right? Like I, it's, I don't know. Like I really like community content and mm-hmm. it just sucks that uh, you won't get some of that stuff in this game. Well, one thing, I don't know. Matt, this is something I was talking to you about earlier this week with the competitive side of Valorant. Um, Riot announced that they're going with a more community approach for their um, esports. They're not going to be um, managing the esports league the way they do with League of Legends. Now, I don't know a whole lot about League of Legends, but um, I'm under the impression that they have um, like a big annual um, like tournament, um, like Dota with the international. Um, and then throughout the year they have like qualifiers or tournaments or whatever. It's the biggest esport event ever. Exactly. Which is why it's crazy to me. Um, really interesting to me that riot has come out and said that they're going to let the community handle the esports side of Valorant, (laughs) a game that's like built from the ground up to be like the meme is like esports ready. Um, the, the, there was a big caveat. Like I reread this article when you sent me that Mm -hmm. and it's, uh, initially. Yeah. They're going to let, they're going to let the community decide like hmm. the format in which the game should be played or, or like, that's, or how a tournament should smart. be structured. It, I think smart. it's really smart. Like I imagine like the way I kind of know how CSGO uh, does theirs right now. And it's kind of similar to what I think they're going to do with Valorant where there's a couple different leagues that all host their own tournaments. And a lot of them are region based. So there's like North American circuits, European circuits, so on and so forth. But then uh, I think three times a year, Valve will um, not host, but I guess they will work with another partner to put on a tournament called the Major, mm-hmm. where it, it's like the the biggest tournament because there's a huge prize pool that's just money Valve throws into it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the approach they're going to take with Valorant. A lot of small leagues, uh, so you can let teams develop and shape. Uh, and even like the format in which these tournaments should be run. And then a couple times a year host the big official Valorant uh, majors that's, you know, put on by Riot. Because something that I think some that they might be trying to avoid is uh, like the Overwatch League. When that was first announced, a lot of people are really excited about it because it's a uh, it was a big league that was basically sponsored by Blizzard that they were looking to kind of replace the current model that we have in esports, where there's a bunch of independent teams that will make up this league. They wanted teams to be based on by like city. Yeah. Uh, so like, there's like, oh man, I forgot a bunch of the teams. There's like the, the <laughs> Cleveland Steamers. The uh... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there's like London Spitfire, the California uh, San Francisco Shock. There's like a bunch <laughs> of teams, but which is funny because they're still owned by these traditional esports teams like yeah you know like liquid or cloud nine i I think those own overwatch league teams but they it was like a big more like centralized approach to having your esports league rather than a bunch of independent things and that's starting to crack a bit because i don't know like if you if you throw all this money into this central league and then it turns out people don't like your game in two years (laughs) it kind of sucks because then everything you built just kind of tumbles down and you take on a lot of this risk. And I think it is a lot more smart to let the community do it because it's it's like a grassroots movement, right? If it's going to be successful, then it's I mean, successful. I get the impression that they're just giving uh, the opportunity to the community to decide like 
how the game should be played at a competitive level instead of like uh, making rules based on their assumptions on how it should be played so they don't have to like do all this tweaking later on. They can just be like, all right, how would you guys do it? Because you guys know, you guys are the ones that are playing at this high level or we're just the developers. We don't know. So mm -hmm. they're letting them figure it out maybe for like, I don't know, a couple seasons and then they'll step in and be like, all right, we're going to use your guys' rule set, your guys' like, you know, idea of how it should be run, and then we're just going to take over from here. I think that that's probably the plan that they have set, but that doesn't, in my opinion, doesn't make you immune to the Overwatch problem, which is when people don't care about your game in two years, like what, what it's just money wasted, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I was just saying it's more like a, it's a big risk, like mm -hmm. the that Blizzard model that they made. Where it was a big risk because they were so sure of themselves and they were so like, oh yeah, this is how esports should be run when like they spent a good majority of that time like figuring shit out instead of just running it. You know what I mean? They were making so many oh, yeah, different yeah, yeah. like edits to the class composition and the the meta was like it went through like ten different iterations. And yeah. It, yeah, it was just a mess. And it's all because Blizzard was like, Yeah, this is just all you gotta do is just slap a name on a team and then you got a news for it, you know what I mean? So Yeah, and <laughs> they also made a huge mistake that making it go to Google uh for on YouTube. That's where they stream all the, the games. Yeah, now. that's silly. I don't understand that. <laughs> what? That's crazy. Yeah, it was on Twitch for like the first two years and it would pull like, I don't know, and like and you can there was view botting and whatnot. Like so nobody really knows the actual viewer count, but it like the number that would show up on Twitch would be like, depending on the match, but somewhere between like 60 to 120,000 people watching it. And now like I'll occasionally go check in on YouTube and it's like <laughs> 30K. <laughs> you know here's the like, thing that number that you're you're saying by the way is the peak uh i remember very clearly that the average was closer to around thirty thousand for big tournaments and i remember thinking wow that's actually surprisingly low <laughs> wait uh, really yeah huh. uh, i i i was i kept up with overwatch quite a bit in the beginning because a lot of uh my close friends were um trying out overwatch because it was like basically tf3 to them and uh, yeah, I was just surprised at how little viewership, and I have theories on why it's, it, it was like that, and it, and one of the theories is that, one, Overwatch in general, I think, was viewed by most people as a predominantly casual game, mostly because it was heavily played on consoles, and uh, with Valorant, as far as I can tell, that's just a PC game, right? So I don't think that there's going to have that, yeah. they're not going to have that problem, and two, Overwatch is terrible to watch on a live stream because there's so many particles going around that it kills the live stream. Like it's just the way that a video encoding works when doing when live streaming video or playing like video on demand in general. The more like particles and like little tiny uh, like artifacts you have on screen, the worse quality the video is going to get naturally over time because it just screws with it. I mean, there's like a ton of videos explaining why this happens, but you, if you, you'll see it if you watch any video, like where there's a bunch of birds, like a big flock of birds flying on screen, or if you're watching a video of confetti, it'll go to like mm -hmm. 240p for no reason, and that's because it can't keep up with like all of the different colored shit that's on screen. 
Uh, same thing with your when you're playing Overwatch and streaming Overwatch. There's so much stuff going on on screen that it tanks the video quality, and you actually cannot even see what's happening even more than usual. <laughs> so I feel like it's not a very good game to watch, uh, and I yeah. think that that really hurt its uh, its uh, streamability. I think by a lot. Yeah, I found it hard to to watch because I, I a lot of my friends that are pretty were pretty into it. Uh, would watch it all the time and I would join them and like I played the game and I kind of like I know how to play I'm not an overwatch god or anything but sure yeah I was I was decent enough but watching overwatch league games was I was just kind of I was still lost <laughs> like, yeah exactly like, it's it's so hard, it was really hard to follow everything <laughs> so yeah. yeah there's just a lot going on I don't know overwatch is a weird game it, it's a it, it impacted a lot of like my uh group of uh, friends and like especially my community because it was so similar to team fortress 2 and everybody was saying that it was like the tf2 killer for the longest time turns out it's not tf2 will never die but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh the um the the satisfaction almost that i feel is that it it turned out to be exactly what uh, i expected it to be which is another fad game and maybe we can transition into the concept of fad games because you brought up earlier uh Gus, that you don't really consider yourself like a big like you're not like you're not like into any specific video game. You're just into gaming in general. Yeah, I, that's I was very that, common. That's the, yeah, yeah, that's like the most. I think that's the most like common outlook that most people have, and like that's why these games like Valorant uh, blow up, like go crazy over time. Like it. I mean, you guys remember, you know, PUBG and Apex. Like, you know, th- those games were massive for a year. You know, and now how many people are playing those games? It's just people, people like they find a game that they're going to play with their friends for a summer and then a new game comes out and they move on. Like, it's just how, how the gaming uh, universe works right now. Yeah, I think Valorant is a game that has thought or a, a game that comes from a design standpoint of having thought about some of this stuff. Like you were talking about how in overwatch there's all these particles you can't really see in valorant the maps are really plain honestly and the like the animations that you see when you're playing are are really plain there's not a lot of particles floating around um it's very very clear what's happening and i think that's good that's good game design especially for a competitive game and i think that i can't remember if you told me this or if i just heard it from somebody but they intentionally designed the game to not look like amazing so that it could be ran, run on uh lower end commu- computers right like they yep. they intentionally made it not take a whole lot of like uh, computing hardware or whatever yeah i think that they, that's genius i think that more games should be like aiming for medium end pcs i have no idea why game companies are like yeah let's di- design the entire game on a supercomputer because <laughs> it's just like that's not what your average player base is going to have at their disposal like you got to design it with lower to medium end pcs in mind and uh that's i think i i think that's one of the best things that uh, I heard about the development of Valorant is like the, the the game designers know that not everybody has a god PC. Yeah, I have a very good PC, not to toot my own horn. And what <laughs> I, what I, uh, you know, I okay, I did toot my own horn. Sue me. But uh, one thing that that's interesting that like what you're saying, like I run this game at the highest settings and it looks fine. But the benefit I really get is not in graphical graphical quality, it's frame rate, which I think encourages like a higher level of play. Like if you're really going to get into Valorant, 
like and you want to like go pro or whatever, you're probably going to get more better at the game. That's how it works. Well, I think like if you're playing <laughs> at a serious level, you're going to want more frames. Yeah, whereas of course, yeah. it doesn't really matter. Like it, like you can play at 60 frames and it's going to be perfect for you. You know, and you can sure. probably do that with Valorant on like almost any PC. Like this game yeah. like is super lean. That's great. I like that. Mm-hmm. It's funny though. Like uh, they really, the, another reason they made it so like they want anybody to play it, but they also want everybody to play it at a high frame rate. Because uh, a lot of the developers on this game were like ex-CSGO players, if not CS, like pro-CSGO players. Um, and like there's a thing in that community where I think anything under like 240 frames <laughs> a second isn't good enough. What? And like, yeah, like the people that play that game at the highest level will have like the ultra high refresh rate monitors that hit up to 240. Um, and you need to run it at that if you want to play it at the highest level like like i play valorant at 144 which i think feels pretty good like i really enjoy 144 like uh i i play when i play animal crossing i play it on my computer with my capture card and i notice uh like that animal cross is animal crossing is only running at like i think 30 um and it, <laughs> it feels weird to look at when i go from you know switch game to game running at high frame rate but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I find that stuff interesting because for most people, it's perfectly fine. But I find it funny that when you get to that really high level, there's people that are, you know, and they, they could be right. Uh, but they're very confident that you can't do as well if you don't have like that amazing max yeah. refresh rate or whatever. 2000 frames or something. It, yeah, it, there's there's a it, it's kind of infamous I think in in TF2 especially because there's so many different things that were added to the game afterwards, mostly hats. But uh <laughs> mostly, well, I mean like I'm not even joking like hats kill the frame rate in TF2. So there are very popular configs that you can uh basically install that are basically competitive configs. They disable uh all hats and they they basically just like turn all of the settings down to like mega low and i don't know if you tune into any relatively competitive stream of tf2 you'll notice that their graphic settings are like majorly depleted because they're trying to get like the most amount of frames as possible and it's just uh it's it's funny but i mean i don't know i think that there's this mindset where um if you have yeah like you were saying if you have the if you have your frames cranked up as high as possible, then it'll make you better at the game. Also, uh, uh, an offshoot of that is uh, I have to go into the stream of every competitive t- uh, TF2 player and ask them what their what their mouse settings are, so that I can have those <laughs> mouse settings, so that I'll be as good as them. I don't know if that's like something that happens in other competitive games, but I oh for sure I, I see it I see it all the time. It's like what is what settings does the pro use? I'm gonna use those settings. It's like you know it's a weird mentality to have where it's just like yeah if I use those settings I'll be good like them when those settings are entirely preferential. <laughs> There's a I don't know man like I. In my, uh, I really got into PC gaming. Uh, like I've had a decent PC gaming computer for a while, but I didn't really start caring about that stuff, like playing better at games until like, I don't know, like three, four years ago. And I used to play with incredibly high sense. Cause like, I remember on Xbox, you would, uh, if you play Halo, you would have to have your sense at 10 so you could flick around really quick and like shoot people. <laughs> 
And that's the opposite that what people do on PC. So when I first got it, like I would have, I don't know, maybe like, like a slight wrist movement, do like a 180, right? So my mouse would be all over the place and yeah. it makes it really hard to aim when you're like that. And as I've had friends that like, that kind of do that, where they'll be like, like, oh yeah, my, my, uh, my sense and DPR are what Shroud uses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, have, I have friends Come that, on, that are like man. that. No, but see, I I adopted that. Like, there's a the, we, in our Discord, we have a benchmark called the Sean benchmark, where whenever we start playing a new game, like Sean's our friend that's just really good at all these different games. Like, he just gets in and he he's insane. And people will be like, "Hey, Sean, what's your sense?" And people will just copy it because it's a good baseline. And like, I've done it and I've gotten better because there's there's like. It's a placebo, there, there, it, man. I promise no, you. It's all preferential. You have to. You basically just have to play and say, uh, I wish that I could move my mouse faster, and then you up your zens. Like, it's just see, as simple as that. I agree with it being a preference, but I think there's a baseline. Like, there's a good uh, concept in what, I, I guess, pros do that model it. Like, very low sense is good, because I used to do... There's like a, you can go down this forever, but there's this thing uh, where it's wrist aiming versus, um, elbow. Uh, I guess, elbow aiming, where you either yeah, move yeah. with your wrist or you move with your elbow. And as you transition to elbow, you need to make much wider movements to go. So now in all my games, I don't follow a strict thing because it, it is dumb because your sense should be based off your mouse pad and like how much space you have. Yeah. But I, I use a huge mouse pad. And so what I do is one flick across my mouse pad is 180. Yeah. So I have to swipe across my mouse pad twice to like turn in a full circle. But what's great about that is, and it, it is preference because this is what I've trained myself, but I've noticed it's easier to get better because it's, you have, a higher degree of movement you can make. Like you can make a very precise movement a lot easier on a yeah, very you, low what you're sensitivity. Saying is like generally lower sensitivity is better for precision games. I agree with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but there are, I will tell you this, that TF2 is one of those games and I've known so many different people. I mean, like I've played with probably dozens of different TF2 players who play at high levels and they tell me like what their settings are. And they're so wildly, crazily different from each other that that it's just like insane to me how some people play the game. Like there was a, I knew one guy who had he bound um he bound jump to uh right click, and that's <laughs> how he what? that's how he played the game for ten years. It's like what? <laughs> like what's funny is that like if he was a streamer, people would go into a stream and say, "What are your settings?" Oh, I I bound jump to right click and then they'd go and they'd change it so that their jump is bound to right click for no reason other than this this other guy who's really good at the game does that because he likes it that way it's like it's yeah, weird see, that he likes it dumb. that way but that doesn't that isn't what makes him good at the game <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah okay yeah i agree with that like i was just saying there's usually uh i, I mean I, no, that I right click thing is dumb that right thing <laughs> but when people make people at a high level make a weird choice Sometimes there's a good reason. Sometimes, Sometimes. it is it's habit. Like uh, there's a lot of CS:GO players that still play in four by three, um, which you don't see younger people that come up in that scene do because it's fucking stupid. <laughs> but they, they they do it, and then like if anybody plays CS:GO and hears that, they're gonna you mean four by three me. stretched because the the best TF2 player uh, by most accounts, Banny, uh, plays four four by three stretched, 
and everybody always asks him, why does your game look weird? Oh, I play in 4 by 3 stretched. And I can't imagine how many people have probably changed their goddamn resolution to that. As a <laughs> yeah, result. it's either that or 4, four by 3 or 4 by 3 stretched. Like, there's a difference. And, and, like, people give you reasons, but a lot of it comes down to, like, yeah, the people that do that were playing the original version of this game when they only had a CRT monitor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was 4 by 3 right? It was just because that was the only option. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's dumb. <laughs> I, yeah, I, my main point is, yeah, you're right that there is a baseline, especially in certain games, like you're, like you said, like in, in, I agree that lower sensitivity and precision games is best. Like TF2, I have the lowest sensitivity by far of any game that I play. Like it's really weird going from like playing Fallout all day and then I boot up TF2 and like oh, I, I have to like drag my mouse all the way across the, the mouse pad to turn around. Um, and it, it, but it actually does help, like because, like you said, you can make more precision aim movements, and you don't really have to do that in other games. But uh, my point being that there's this weird like mentality where it's just like, who's the best of the game? All right, now I need to like copy their settings, and then that'll make me yeah. the game. And then whenever they find themselves doing well at the game, they're gonna be like, oh, this strategy works. I'm gonna just steal the settings of every good player. Uh, and it's mostly just like, oh no, you just got used to those settings. Like you just get used to any setting, and then like tweak it to your to your preference then yeah of course you're gonna get better at the game getting better at the game is mostly just a result of you playing a lot rather than mm-hmm. settings i think <laughs> yeah well yeah there's no like copying shroud if everybody could just copy shrouds uh <laughs> sensitivity then everybody would everybody would be shroud yeah everybody would be clicking be heads special. but you don't see that <laughs> no. yeah man i actually i followed uh our buddy sean who's the guy good at games uh, I followed his sensitivity when I first started and immediately just like did so bad that I like doubled <laughs> his sensitivity and started to like feel maybe sort of normal. So, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, maybe it's good to, if you, if, if you've never adjusted those things before or, you know, with whatever game you're playing in that specific game, if you haven't messed around with the settings before, you know, copying, you know, your friend who's good at the game or copying Shroud or, you know, some other streamers settings might get you to just start thinking about that. So I think that's where that value comes in. But yeah, I mean, like, really, yeah, it just comes to down totally. Attention. To, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally just preference and, you know, well, yeah, it, good. And like I said, it's it's all mouse pad, right? Like, I, I know mm-hmm. you have a much smaller mouse pad than than Sean. So his sense would just would not work for you. Uh, That would be really painful yeah and sean also i don't know you uh, he has a much bigger brain than i do too so that, that goes along with it so he can move his mouse across his brain <laughs> yeah exactly um but yeah uh dan i'm interested so you know we're talking about valorant um what when i tried to get you to play valorant uh, when it first came out you were pretty indifferent to it uh why why is that well, there's two reasons, and one of the reasons I actually kind of, t- I, uh, it's funny because I never really thought too hard about why I wasn't interested in it. I just thought, ah, it doesn't look interesting to me. And then Matt kind of asked me this question off pod, and uh, it kind of forced me to think about, oh, why don't, why am I not interested in this game that obviously everybody is really, like, gung-ho about? Because um, I was interested in playing, uh, like, the other big games that came out. Like, I played a bit of Apex I played a bit of uh, PUBG. I played a bit of Overwatch, obviously. Um, but the, uh, I will tell you that the two reasons, the one that I kind of came up with when talking with Matt was, uh, I, I don't I think, I'm just not into the concept of tactical shooters. I'm, mu- I'm much more into arena shooters, which 
um, he kind of brought this up is like, oh, did you play Halo? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, Halo is like the game that I loved playing as, as, a, as a kid and, and grew up with, basically. And that was like the first first person shooter that I ever really fell in love with and still love to this day. Like I still play the the re uh, releases that they're doing on PC and stuff. So um, but that and, you know, TF2 is an arena shooter and stuff and uh, and uh, more quake kind of things. Uh, are more appealing to me as far as like the first person shooter genre goes. Mm-hmm. Tactical shooters, like I've I've played a fair bit of CS:GO with friends and without friends, and I don't know, it just feels very repetitive. It feels very like um, surgical and weird. I don't know, it just doesn't really appeal to me. And um, I'm not saying that it's like a bad game design or anything like that. I just I'm just doesn't it doesn't gel with me. Um, so that was one main reason, and two is I'm constantly on the lookout for games that I will play for years rather than play for uh, like a summer. So these, um, I- I'm going to keep calling <laughs> Valorant a fad game until it proves me wrong, but mm-hmm. I truly do believe that no one's going to care about this game in a year. No, uh, I think that's fair, but you have to think like <laughs> the, the game, the, the company behind this is Riot where they've made one game. I, yeah, and this exactly. is like and their I, yeah. third game. I I have I have uh, high expectations for it just because Riot's in charge of it and they have done well with other games in the future in the past. However, I mean Blizzard also has a pretty good track record with games and Overwatch is dying. So uh, I don't really necessarily think that the company behind it has a whole lot to say about the longevity of a game. These is days that true? Days. Is is Overwatch dying? Uh, yeah, it, it, no, no help in part to Valorant coming out. I hear a lot of people who used to play Overwatch all the time are moving to Valorant. So. Oh yeah, there was that guy, uh, what's his name, Sinatra, Sinatra. who yeah. moved mid-season in Overwatch to Valorant recently, like a few days ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, see, Overwatch is, I don't know, it depends on how you look at it. As like a casual game, Overwatch is doing fine as a good player base. Sure. Like a lot of people still play it and are still interested in it. But at the level that they want it to be, uh, competitive Overwatch is kind of dying yeah, in degree. That's what I'm. It, yeah, mostly referring to is just the competitive scene. Um, but and maybe to me, I feel like uh, a, a thriving competitive scene is is syn- uh, synonymous with how a game is doing. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. That's just how I feel, at least. Dane, I think um, I think it's really fair, honestly, for you to you to say that Valorant is a fad game because this game came about like the reason why I'm playing it, the reason why Matt's playing it is because we did this whole like you watch a, you watch a stream for long enough, you might get a drop of the key for the game. And that's a completely <laughs> yeah. artificial way to build hype for the game, you know, yeah, to yeah. like generate a fad of people playing Valorant. So, I mean, really, it is up to them to prove if this game has longevity. I think it does because it seems like such a distilled, um, like it seems mechanically it's so distilled to be competitive, to be very clean cut, work really well and feel good in the same way that games like CSGO and Overwatch um, feel good. So I have a lot of faith in it. But um, yeah, I mean, this game really is like the result now of like a marketing team that has created the the biggest game in the world, like like League of Legends. Yes, exactly. So it has it has that going for it, which I'm excited to find uh being uh being the reality. Because I I want there to be like mainstay games. In fact, like like I said, I, I'm constantly on the lookout for a game that I'll play for years rather than a couple months. And so I'm I'm always like thinking in the long term right i'm like oh man 
how long can I play this game for? Can I play for years? Fuck yeah, I can. Like, yes, I'm into this game. I love it. Like, that's one of the main reasons why I'm into Fallout 76 is because the game, it's going to be around for a long time and I'm going to be able to basically just play it forever <laughs> as far as, as long as the servers are up. So, like, uh, with, I don't know, I, when it comes to those kinds of games where everybody is just jumping on the bandwagon all at the same time, I get a little, like, uh, iffy about whether uh i'm going to be there for a while or not you know what i mean is is this the kind of thing where i'm going to get really cuz i've also had this problem where i'll be really really into a game i'll get really into a game right and all of my friends are getting really into a game and then by the time that i'm just like i've mastered this game oh yeah this game is like my game i'm going to play this game for years and years and years they all like lose interest because some other game came out and they've moved on and I'm like, oh, what new game? No, I, I just, I just got, I just got good at this game. Why, why is everybody moving on? You know what I mean? So, uh, I don't know. I, 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 um, I don't really have a whole lot of confidence in the, in that area for that game. But that's a lesser to a degree of why I'm, I've, I'm not that interested in it. The main reason is just uh, the, the type of game that it is just doesn't appeal to me. I'm curious with what you were saying before. You were, you were talking about how Fallout seventy six seems like a game that you can just keep playing forever as long as the servers are up. What is it about that game? And I know we've talked about in, in past episodes about how Fallout 76 has this really cool like uh, like community-run economy that you're interested in. But what is it specifically about Fallout 76 that, that makes you think it has this longevity that, that you're looking for? Well, it's lo- it has a longevity for me specifically. And, and it's a small community, so it's like not necessarily like... A huge game but that's never really important to me obviously i'm a big fan of tf2 which is you know it's been around forever and i've put so many hours into it and i've played it for years and years and years uh but the size of the community has never like concerned me it's just uh just i like the game um but as far as fallout 76 goes i mean it's just a game that i can play every day and uh have fun doing it. Like just, there's always just something to do. You know what I mean? It's, it's a bit, it's not, it's not anything like, uh, TF2 in that it's a, an arena shooter and you go in and you play a match and you're like, Oh, I played a few matches today and, uh, I got some kills and I, I top score my team. You know what I mean? It's nothing like that. It's, it's more like an MMO. So it's, it's more like a, you log in and do dailies or do a couple, uh, couple events or something or, play with your friends and uh i got a few of my uh my uh, tf2 friends into fallout lately so i've been playing with them and they're like low level they're like level 15 running around and it's really cool to hear like their reactions to stuff that i've played that i experienced like two years ago (laughs) um but yeah i don't know um it's it's fun to me it has a longevity to me uh for different reasons but it still does like uh i don't know I can see myself maybe taking a couple breaks from it every once in a while, but uh, I don't know. I, I've always come back to Fallout. Like I've, I think I've come back to Fallout seventy six like three times now. Like I've I've played it for a long time, uninstalled it like after I got bored with it, or or moved on to a different game for the time being, or something, or or got like super back into TF two or something. So I don't know. It seems like that's gonna keep continuing <laughs> until they kill the servers or something, which I don't see happening anytime soon because Bethesda has infinite money. <laughs> yeah, I see, for me personally, I see Animal Crossing, like how you're describing, like it doesn't, I guess it has dailies in that like 
every day you go in and yeah. like you can pick your fruit and go and you know take care of talking to your villagers see what they're up to and whatnot but i find, i found myself you know for the past um month and a half and this is very unlike me I, I typically just hop from game to game um i found myself every single day um i think i've maybe skipped like three days since animal crossing came out um but i, I go in every day play for you know at least like an hour or so um and I, I really enjoy that it feels like you know especially in these weird times it feels like a like a really great um piece of escapism where um you know i go in and it's i know what i know what i'm getting into and um I feel like I'm slowly building up something like in this case, you know, I've generated enough wealth to build this magnificent podcast studio. And um, I'm sure yes. you have similar things in uh, in Fallout. Yes, of course. Like today, I found this gun that I was looking for literally all week. I mean, Josiah can, can tell you every night I get on and I just bitch and moan to him. I was like, I can't fucking find this gun I want. <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, man, I've been looking too. I can't find it. It's like really rare. Like, and we've been checking like all of the trade discords and stuff today. I log on and this guy messaged me and he was just like, I have the gun you want. Please trade me this other gun that I know is worth like three or four times more than the gun that he was offering, but it doesn't matter to me. I just want this thing. And so uh, I did the trade, and I was so excited, and it was so awesome. And now it's like, I did the thing. Like this is what I was working for, and I I can I can bask in the glory of this thing. And when that wears off, I'll have another thing that I'll be like grinding for. I mean, I I have a bunch of armor pieces. I like the the cool thing about MMOs, and and the cool thing about well, I mean, I don't typically like MMOs because of the combat, but the cool thing about this MMO in particular, which is it shares that trait with a lot of other MMOs, is they're there's a bunch of very specific things that you want to grind for because you're like, this is the way my character is built. And this is like the, these are the, the weapons, the armor pieces that will benefit my character specifically. And so you pick, you basically sit there and you list out like, okay, here is exactly what I want down to the exact legendary effect, down to the exact armor type, you know, this is what I want. So now you have this goal that you're working towards and you're constantly like, playing the game, trying to be, just chip away at that list, like chip away at that, that wish list one day at a time. And that I feel like is very similar in a way to like how Animal Crossing is appealing to a lot of people is like, I want to, I'm going to log in. I hope that Nook shop has uh, this piece of furniture that I really want to put in my bedroom. Uh, and if it doesn't, then I'm going to keep looking on Nook on, see if somebody is selling it for cheap. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's just stuff to do. And, uh, and I like that. I like that a lot. And I think that you're getting a taste of that kind of thing in Animal Crossing. I feel like Animal Crossing is a much more uh, like laid back version. But I mean, Fallout and as we've as we've talked about on the podcast multiple times, Fallout and uh, Animal Crossing have very weird similarities in that way. <laughs> oh yeah, where you just log in to to find the the rare thing randomly. You know what I mean? There, there's a certain amount of RNG that makes uh, those games fun. So. Oh, dude. Okay. Speaking of that specific thing for this podcast, I was trying to get us for the set, the, uh, the moon, you know, in, in animal crossing, it's this big, I, I love that thing. I, I got that one from, so I got it from somebody for like relatively cheap. They were selling a bunch of them. I think they, they like crafted them. I don't know where they got them from, but, uh, yeah, they're awesome. I have one on my Island. Yeah, it's sweet. It's it's like floating. It's huge. It's the moon and it's it looks just like it. And <laughs> yeah. I wanted to put that, you know, in the background for our, our the people watching the video. There's we have a Godzilla. I was going to put the moon there instead. But yeah. when I when I tried to track it down, 
Um, I, I, I found someone on Nookazon selling it for what I thought was a reasonable price of about 570,000 bells. And I, um, yeah, not bad. And I, I found them on discord and, uh, we started talking and I was like, Oh, so like five seventy bells seems fair. Um, what's your Dodo code? And she was like, wait, do you want just the recipe or the moon itself? And I was like, Oh, I mean, I don't have whatever, five, 10 star fragments. So, um, yeah, I want the, the moon. And she was like, actually, that'll be 3.5 million bells. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I, you know, have quite a mid, quite a few bells in Animal Crossing, but um, I, you know, 3.5 was a little out of my budget for, yeah, uh, for, the moon. for the moon. But, you know, that kind of thing is cool because A, you have this thriving underbelly of people trying to, you know, <laughs> milk you for all of the bells yeah. that you're worth, which is just funny to me that, you know, I'm having this like conversation with someone somewhere else in the world about selling the moon to me for $3.5 million or bells in this case. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just like the disparity of I, I thought I was going to get it for for this price, but it's actually this other price because... I don't know, I guess the market has worked in such a way where people agree that the moon is worth like almost 4 million bells. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that kind of thing is just so, just so fun to me um, with like the, the unexpectedness of this. Like, yeah, there's Nookazon where you can go and like, you know, much like it's real life counterpart with much less wealthy um, owners like Jeff Bezos. Um, yeah. You, the absolute you, pleb compared to uh, Tom Nook, yeah. Yeah, the the uh, uh, incel uh, in, incel um, Amazon CEO and yeah, the, owned. the Chad <laughs> Tom Nook get on um, <laughs> get on Bezos. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just love the organicness of the like community that forms around these like economics games like tf2 is the same way like when i was really into tf2 um i would spend almost all of my time on these trading servers where you would just run into all sorts of all sorts of people some trying to scam you some who were just there to hang out like i was and you know buy hats for reasonable amounts of scraps um and just do that to pass the time but um yeah i love that kind of thing how the community just like (sighs) gets weird about stuff I hate that kind of thing. This all makes so much sense. I was like, like you love this game for the weird, I mean, for a lot of reasons, but there's that slight community market aspect, right? And then Dana's mm. the same thing for Fallout. And I'm just here being like, I don't want to deal with this. Like, I hate doing that in real life. Like, I hate, like, when we were kids, Gus would, like, I remember he would, whenever he wanted something, he would sell another thing he had to, to buy the other thing. Because I, I never had any money, but I had, like, one Xbox, so I would sell the Xbox to get, you know, a PS4. One time I sold a Zune to get an, an iPod Nano or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, and I've always hated stuff like that. Like... Like, <laughs> I, I I was in this situation where it's like, I, I want to get rid of my car because I don't drive it, but I hate dealing with things like that. So I think I might just donate it because <laughs> I don't want to deal with selling it. Like, and like, because it, it just bugs me. I hate having to resell things. And that carries over to games too, where I think my game that I like most, that's kind of set up to be like an MMO is like Destiny 2. Because you don't have to deal with any of that bullshit. It's like, you want a gun? You just do an event, grind, grind for it, it, get the yeah. drop. Yeah, it's like, I can do that. I'd rather waste my time than, you know, <laughs> talk to other people and wheel and deal. Like, I don't I don't like the haggle. I don't like any of that. Hmm. It's just so, well, it's so funny. Like, you know, I get why it's appealing. It's just, it's hilarious to... <laughs> 
I mean, you're, it's uh, presumptuous to think that I like doing that stuff in real life. I don't. <laughs> I just like doing it in video games because it feels a lot less, uh, I don't know, intense. And it feels like you're getting a, a taste of what it would be like to do that in real life without all of the actual real life uh, repercussions if something goes wrong. So, oh, yeah. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't saying you must like it in real life. Oh, I no, was just no, saying I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, I... I was more more illustrating that I hate it so much that I won't even do it in a video game. <laughs> I see. I get it. To me, it's like it's like living a, a life that I could never live in real life. You know what I mean? It's like I, I I have I have this weird attraction to being like uh I don't know I guess a capitalist uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm too much of a pussy to do it in real life. So so I just do it in, in video <laughs> games. You know. Yeah, the 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 one bit I've ever done of that was like with uh buying and selling magic cards, like the actual paper ones. Yeah. And I always like I would do it because you got to move these things that are like they're just so expensive that you have to move around your collection if you want to have things to play. Yeah. But like this one time this guy disputed my my eBay purchase and uh, like he basically got away sucks. with like an $80 thing that I sold him and I was like, "You know what?" I'm playing Hearthstone. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. eBay is and like, terrible, uh, man. I don't understand yeah. how anyone's still using that website. I thought that website died, man. I'm surprised people still use it. It's like, what? Like, that's like a primitive to me. I don't know why. Like, bidding on items? Come on. Yeah, it is Just wild. buy them. <laughs> Stupid. Yeah, God. Uh, so, uh, well, anyway. Yeah, that, that, all that <laughs> stuff. All right. Gus, I want to hear your your take on this hunt for the wilder what wilder people, wilder people. What was it? Yeah, hunt for the wilder people, and uh, it's called hunt for the wilder people because it's about these two um, these two characters. I'll get into it a little bit, but uh, it's about these two characters who go out into the bush in New Zealand and are running away from the world and later the police, um, and they like are fascinated by wildebeests. And while they're like fugitives, they like create like a like a name for themselves in the news by calling themselves the Wilder People. Um, and so, taking taking a step back, this is uh, a movie I watched the other day. It's on uh, on Hulu. Um, it's called The Hunt for the Wilder People. It's directed by Taika Waititi, who you may know as the director of What We Do in the Shadows, Thor Ragnarok, um, Thor: Love and Thunder, the new Marvel movie coming out whenever Marvel movies come out. Um, but really, really cool director. And he has this, um, like a sense of, sense of humor and heart. Um, it's a, it's a really cool mix where this movie to me, um, I think he wrote it and directed, I directed it. I could, I could be wrong. Um, it, it has like the heart and focus on adventure that movies from the eighties and nineties, like, um, like hook, if you've seen hook, um, that's a movie I think about all the time because I feel like that's like a genre film that doesn't get made anymore. That's like a almost family adventure movie, but it's not just for kids. It's um, a Steven Spielberg movie. Yeah. Steven's. Yeah. I mean, in Steven Spielberg, Even Steven Spielberg great doesn't these. make Steven Spielberg movies anymore. <laughs> yeah. He makes the BFG for some reason, but yeah, he, he um, makes, um, uh, he makes Lincoln <laughs> or, okay. or what was it? War horse. <laughs> All, <those fucking> <laughs> All I remember about war horse is in the trailer for it. They just said over and over, be brave. Be brave. <laughs> and I just thought that was, it was so like intense and the movie's called War Horse. And it's like, is this horse brave? Like who, who is brave in this situation? <laughs> yeah, the horse is brave. <laughs> They're telling but the horse to be brave. I'm sure War Horse is great. 
But um, and also, uh, Dane, tread lightly because this is a pro Lincoln podcast. So if you're going to be throwing shade at uh, uh, Steven Spielberg's Lincoln that film, so boring. Oh my god! All right, uh, Dane's been kicked from the call, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hunt for the Wilderness is pretty good. But I mean, Daniel Day, who I thought just, that was just Abraham Lincoln himself in that role. They he, they revived him. They they had his head frozen. Daniel Day Lewis melts into the role of Abraham Lincoln in such. Okay, I can't, Matt. Okay, I can't. You're, I'm, you're winding me up. I'm getting gassed up. Okay, Hunt for the Wilder People. Uh, interest a film uh, by Taika Waititi that. Um, yeah, it's like this like adventure movie, um, but like you know a comedy still about this kid. He's this like big fat like thirteen year old kid. Kid's probably like 250 pounds. He wears these like bape hoodies that like zip all the way up. So it like covers your face. Um, they have, you know, his like, his hoodie has like money bags all over it. He wears like a big puffy jacket. He's this kid who's been in and out of juvie his whole life. Um, and Child Protective Services like hates him because they always have to move him from house to house because he's just like always getting into trouble and like setting shit on fire and running away. And they move him to... Um, a house in the middle of the wilderness um, with this uh, this woman who takes him in as a, as a foster kid um, who has a, uh, a husband who's like real outdoorsy and they live out in the wilderness in uh, New Zealand and the kid starts to like it and um, he likes it so much he actually like wants to stay which he's never wanted to stay at like a foster house before but then the woman who took him in dies uh, all of a sudden and child protective services is going to take him and you know send him to juvie because i guess for whatever reason this was like the last step before he was just sent to juvie because he was such a troubled kid so he fakes his own death really poorly and moves just like runs into the bush in new zealand this like basically like jungly forest um area just like thousands and thousands of square miles of uh wilderness and he runs out there to just like live in the wilderness because he doesn't want to go to juvie and the widower of uh the the woman who takes him in played by sam neill who you may remember as i think doctor his name is dr alan grant dr. Alan in, grant yeah in uh jurassic park another of uh director of the bfg's uh steven spielberg's <laughs> films um uh, Sam Neill plays this outdoorsy guy who's the widower of the foster um, mother who took this kid in. And this guy is like super gruff. Um, Sam Neill has this big beard, bushy hair. And he's like an ex-convict who had lived out in the bush for a while and was like a survivalist who um, this woman kind of took in and like helped helped him normalize. And then they got married. Um, but he like didn't like this kid at all when he was uh, when they took him in. But he goes looking for him after he this this kid very clearly like poorly faked his own death. Um, the guy's like, well, I guess I gotta go get the kid. But he goes and finds him out in the bush. But when he does so, um, he leaves his house uh, unattended, and Child Protective Services comes, sees that like this kid had like very poorly faked his own death, and assumes that the the Sam Neill's character had like kidnapped the kid to like molest him out in the wilderness and now like they're fugitives out in the bush and like child protective services and the in the the police are um like spending the next like few months trying to find uh the kid and sam neil out in the uh in the bush and the movie is is about that and it's about them surviving out in the wilderness this like kid from like the uh the city uh in new zealand and this like survivalist old gruff man and it's like super wacky um 
and, and, and funny. Like there's these recurring characters who are these um, like hunters who hear about like, I guess the like prize money for bringing in these, uh, this guy who's, you know, an alleged, like they keep like all the papers refer to him as like a pervert out in the woods with this kid. And they try to try to track down the, uh, uh, the, the, the guy and the kid and the, um, the guy and the kid keep, um, like stealing their guns and ammo and then just like leaving. And it's this recurring thing throughout the movie, but it's, it's really cool. It's like, it's, it's a very heartfelt movie about this kid who does not belong in the wilderness, trying to survive in the wilderness with this old man who like just wants nothing to do with him. And I really enjoyed it. It had a lot of like New Zealand specific uh, comedy, but what was cool about the movie is that a lot of times they would like explain the like references they were making or like the the New Zealand specific jargon and phrases they were using. Um, I I really liked it. I I really really liked it. Um, it was a cool movie that I, I would definitely recommend. Um, and it, it's something that I don't think it's made enough anymore. Um, so I, I was very happily surprised by it. Would you say that they riff on us? Go ahead. ahead, Oh, I was going to ask, do you think that it's uh, a part of the same genre as hook? Is that why you brought it up earlier? No, I mean, it's, it's has the same uh, like energy that hook has where it's um, like a bunch of kids doing fun stuff out in the wilderness with this fantastical Um, Mm storyline and hunt for the wilder people doesn't have a whole lot of fantasy to it, but it has this like, uh, light-hearted, very like quick-witted comedy that's very like Wes Anderson inspired. If you know Wes Anderson's films, like it, the, yes. the dialogue is super snappy. The editing is weird. It has these like funny shots that you might see in a in a <laughs> Wes Anderson film. But what's different about like Taika Waititi's approach uh, to filmmaking uh, than than Wes Anderson's is like there's just like extreme violence that's in this movie too that it'll go from like just like being buddy buddy out in the woods to like sam neil jumping off a cliff with a knife and like stabbing a boar so that they can eat and it's like super bloody and the camera will just like focus on the kid's face being horrified as sam neil is just repeatedly like stabbing this boar in the in the throat um it it (laughs) took me by surprise and i i really really liked it I will say that the uh, when I watched uh, Taika Waititi's uh, other film uh, that recently came out called uh, Jojo Rabbit, the whole time I was just like, this is obviously heavily inspired by Wes Anderson, but it has like uh, New Zealand humor. It's very strange Mm -hmm. combination because like uh, Wes Anderson's films are very, very dry, like just just like. Uh, you know, nobody, nobody is really making jokes. They're just kind of doing funny things or, or whatever. And it's always just kind of like tongue in cheek or cute. But, uh, yeah, with, uh, with Jojo Rabbit, which is the uh, only other, uh, Taika Waititi film I've seen besides, I think he made Thor Ragnarok, which is mm-hmm. coincidentally my favorite Marvel movie. And then he also made, uh, what we do in the shadows. Right. Uh, and I liked that one, but that was definitely more just New Zealand humor. It felt like it felt like he's just decided I'm gonna do like the the Wes Anderson thing, but I'm gonna keep that humor flair that that New Zealand has. And uh, it's a cool yeah, it's like kind of snarky. I, I I really liked it. Um, it's quick, I haven't seen it's like quick. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. it's a uh, it's 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 like a step 
<laughs> I don't want to say step down. It's like more, uh, it's more um, brash and and like uh, I don't know, childish than British humor, but it still has that British humor flair to it. I don't know how to describe it. Um, oh no, I, I yeah, I think that I think that's a that's a fair way to put it. Yeah. Uh, but if it's anything like Jojo, then I probably would enjoy it. I thought Jojo, I thought Jojo was pretty, uh, pretty decent film. So yeah, I haven't seen that yet, but, um, I know Taika Waititi is in Jojo Rabbit playing Adolf Hitler. Um, in, in this movie, Hunt for the Wilder People, he does make an appearance. He's, uh, he plays like a minister giving the eulogy, like this really awkward eulogy for the, Mm. uh, uh, the the foster mother who dies. And in Thor Ragnarok, he was in that too. He played Korg, the like guy made out of rocks. That, Um, oh, that was him? Yeah. Yeah. It stood out entirely because he has, he has this thick, like, uh, New Zealand accent. (laughs) So. That's funny. That's cool. Even when he plays Hitler, he still has his accent. So. Uh, but I loved, uh, I love, I love the New Zealand, uh, uh, disposition. I, I'm a big fan of the flight of the Concords. I think I watch that show every year. It's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if anyone from flight of the Concords was involved with hunt for the wilder people, but, uh, Jermaine Clement, I know was starred in, uh, what we do in the shadows. I know Taika yes. Waititi and him do stuff, uh, collaborate together. Yeah. Um, I think, he, yeah. I think Taika Waititi directed a few episodes of, uh, of uh what is the, Flight of the concords yes thank you Flight of the concords. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i think so too i think so too um it's, it's so it's pretty cool to have uh like a i mean a filmmaker who's very prominent now uh from the film scene in new zealand and like i was saying before it just like captured these emotions that i hadn't seen in a movie um in a long time so yeah hunt for the wilder people it's on it's on hulu uh, check it out. It's 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 pretty cool. I believe I and, have it on my list that I yeah, have not I ha- gotten to in months. <laughs> yeah, damn I don't know Animal if... Crossing. Damn yeah, Animal exactly. Crossing. Damn video games in general. You know, damn. And now I'm getting. I've finally decided I should stop like slacking off all day and do some work during the day. So now I'm back to working on video editing uh, during the week. So. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if I'm gonna be able to like no life movies like I used to uh, anytime soon. <laughs> Do you have any updates on the like the stuff you're working on that you can share? Um, nothing super interesting. I mean, like it's just all little nitty gritty stuff. Like I have two sequences that I'm trying to figure out how to how to blend together. Uh, uh, yeah, it's not really that interesting. It's just editing shit. It's like I have two sequences that are great on their own, but I have no idea how to transition between one and the, uh, one and the other. I, so I've been trying to find like uh, a relevant clip where I can like segue out of uh, a sequence and into the next sequence that I already have generally edited. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just little things like that. That's the last this, thing that I left off on, on Thursday when I was editing it before. And is this in the IDUB stock that you're doing or yeah, is this yeah. in the TF2 stuff? Okay. No, the TF2 stuff, it's funny. I actually have most of that stuff already edited. It's just a um, mostly just um, coming up with visual aids. I'm in the process of um, compiling a, uh, a, a task force. Uh, and by task force, I mean like, I don't know, two or three people who can assist me in making little visual aids because I, I only have a certain amount of skills <laughs> when it comes to that stuff. Like I can operate Photoshop and I can do some sort of like keyframe animation on things, but... 
I, I'm not familiar with like how Illustrator works, or I don't know how to make little animations and things like that. So I'm trying to find like a good, you know, little a tiny team of people who can um, basically just I can I can message them and be like, hey, can you make a sentry gun like pop up and have an arrow point to it? You know what I mean? <laughs> like stuff like that. So uh, yeah, that's probably the thing I'm going to be working on uh, a little bit this week. I've I, I'm trying to give myself a little bit of um, uh, structure in the way that I work on these things because I have two major things that I'm working on, which is the documentary, which is a large scale project. That's just one thing. And then I have my Uncle Dane channel, which I haven't uploaded a video to in almost going on five months now. So I have <laughs> to uh, make sure that I do that. I recently hit 500,000 subscribers and I was just like, I feel kind of bad that I hit this milestone when I wasn't even uploading videos. So um, so yeah, I'm, I'm trying to make it so that every other day during the week, uh, so Monday through Friday, I'm, I'm working on uh, you know the documentary one day and then an Uncle Dane related video on the second and then switching off. So... Uh, that's how I'm going to try and uh, organize it. Uh, that's as much of an update as I can give you. I I'm sorry, it's not like anything spicy. I will tell you this, though. Uh, Ian said that he got word back from the lawyer that he's working with that they asked for three... Uh, he said that he, he asked for three different um, quotes on how much it would cost for different types of licenses. Uh, licenses to uh to uh basically make it so we can use California Dream in, in the video and we're basically just waiting to hear back on a price for all of those things uh so yeah it's just a waiting game like usual when it comes to that thing but as far as like the rest of the editing goes it's just kind of grinding as usual you know making it trying to make it into a finished product over time that's exciting no i'm i'm excited to see what uh what comes of all of this and uh, California Dreaming by the I'm Mamas and the Papas too. is such a good song so that'd be really no, cool if it, if it happens. I totally agree with you. It's uh, I'm excited to see what people think of it because it's not, I will I mean I've probably said it before it's it feels very much nothing like full force but it's still kind of funny in the same way I think the same kind of like wow this guy exists kind of humor. So mm -hmm. it's gonna be. Does it remind you of exciting. movies um from the eighties and nineties like Hook? Uh, yes. In fact, we had a guest director, you might know him, rhymes with Meevan Bilberg. Uh, <laughs> just going to leave Oh, dude, Meevan, Meevan, uh, Meevan Tilburg. Meevan Milberg. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> the famous Meevan Milberg. Yeah, I, I mean, Meevan, I mean, don't get me started on, um, the, the Meevan verse, but, um, no, I mean, I'm excited. Uh, uh, and much like the, um, mamas and papas with mother's day coming up uh i wanted to segue into a theme song <laughs> is that how you're closing it? You, you do theme song at the end yeah yeah we have it we have an ending theme oh, song. gotta okay. close it out what are you doing what you say this is the motion back so yeah podcast, mate. No, yeah, you're doing, you're, you're doing a good yeah, job. Yeah, keep going, Dane. Close oh, it out. I might. This has been a Motion Pixels podcast. Thanks for listening, bruv. And uh, I'm Dane Kevin Cook, a.k.a. the the master of comedy. What do we call me? The bad boy the, of the comedy? The bad boy of comedy. The bad boy of comedy. As you can tell by my very funny voice that I'm doing, that I'm making everyone laugh and not turn off the podcast early. And with me has been joined, I've been joined by August. Say goodbye. Uh, goodbye. 
and Matthew. Say goodbye, Matthew. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Goodbye. See ya. <laughs> this was a voice podcast. This was me doing. I, I like that. That was good. That was a good little <laughs> little uh, little. Definitely, mix up. definitely doesn't show any sort of like cabin fever that I've been experiencing. Definitely doesn't like give away that I'm going crazy, cooped up in my house or anything. Definitely nothing like that is showing when by me doing any of these crazy voices or anything. Like definitely nothing like that. Definitely don't include any of this either. This is all behind the scenes. Don't include this. <laughs> I promise you, no we won't. Wait, no, I, I just promised that we, we wouldn't. Good thing I can cut that promise out. <laughs> <laughs>